Yeah, uh, so yeah, stick overhead, stick needs to stay horizontal to the floor, but at the point of final foot contact, beginning to redirect that trunk in the new direction. So almost pointing the stick into the new direction at the point of final foot contact. Um, the lateral shuffle, yeah, we allowed us to kind of have a lower hip height to start with, which we which we want. So can we teach that individual to increase touchdown distance from a from a position of hip height that is already low? Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is all about change direction, deceleration, and transitional movements. So anyone that came to the Sportsmith Speed Conference will have seen Hailu Theodros, who is today's guest, talking about transitional movements, but we only give him 15 minutes. So what I wanted to do in this episode was develop that into a 45-minute conversation and a bigger conversation that incorporated transitional movements, but into the wider context of deceleration and improving change direction ability. And that's what we did. So this episode is absolutely superb, goes into lots of detail around the Speedworks um, philosophy when it comes to game speed and how improving change direction ability fits within that. And also these transitional movements, which I'm really interesting because I can picture myself as a former athlete struggling with those and needing a coach like Hailu to uh, to coach me uh, through them them transitional movements as a defender. So a really interesting episode coming up today. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organizations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Hailu Theodros. Hailu Theodros, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to get to be invited on. I probably it was a very popular podcast for me, so it's nice to be involved in this capacity as well. No, thank you for coming on. It's it, I, I don't want to say it's to embarrass you, but it's been great to see over the last few years. I mean, we connected in probably 2019-ish when you were working at Chelsea yeah. and to see the kind of stuff yeah. that you've been doing and how much recognition you've been getting in, our, in, in many different areas. Uh, it's great to see and it's a pleasure to get you on so thank you for giving up 45 minutes now or your time to oh, come on you. yeah no it was, it was it feels like it feels like longer than that but um no it's been it's been good and yeah no i'm really excited to to kind of share some of the things that we've been working on so we're going to have a little chat around change direction we're going to have a little chat around transitional movements deceleration but before we do would you mind just giving us a little bit of a background on you because i think that's got an interesting story yeah, yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, uh, so if I go back to from a uni- university, uh, if I start there, it's probably the, the earliest point. Um, 
So I originally started my undergrad in sports rehabilitation and definitely wanted to go down more of the medical route. <clears throat> and uh, found that really interesting, was 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 a great entry point, um, kind of a love for biology and, and sport at the same time, kind of combined into one when, when I was younger. And uh, sports rehabilitation was great. I think I quite quickly realised that I probably enjoyed more the later stage rehab, um, but it was a great degree to kind of cement my foundation of knowledge in anatomy and pathology and uh, movement-based rehabilitation. But then uh, I was fortunate enough to get a role at Chelsea, part-time role at Chelsea while I was still at university. Um, and that was kind of more of an athletic development position uh, with the under nines, which was, which was great fun. Um, uh, and I think from then on, I kind of spent more time in the performance space and really enjoyed it. And it was a lot of crossover, I felt, from 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 my rehab background. But again, a lot of it that didn't apply. Um, but enjoyed that a lot more, kind of really pushed down that performance route. And uh, again, managed to get a full-time role at Chelsea following my undergrad. And uh, I then went on to do an MSc um, at St. Mary's as well, St. Mary's University. Uh, great course. Um, I did it in strength and conditioning and I felt that was a real need for me to do that, to plug holes in my knowledge um, that I didn't necessarily get from having a sports rehabilitation background in, 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 a, in a physical preparation sense. So uh, that was really good, really enjoyed that. And that was kind of in tandem with 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 working at Chelsea full time. So it was great to kind of have this um, real academic uh, side to the, to the week, but then uh, put that into practice straight away um, and kind of go back and forth between those. What was I learning on the course and actually how does that challenge my practice? And I probably did it to also challenge my my beliefs as well. Um, I think there was a, I think the industry was at a time where probably was a quite heavy uh, focus on, on on strength and and gym-based gym based, uh, physical preparation, um, which, um, which for me was probably very different from what we did uh, in the rehab setting. So I actually did that MSc to really challenge some of my thoughts and whether I, um, whether I was missing anything in my knowledge, but then also whether some of my initial thoughts coming into the industry would hold up by the end of the, by the end of the masters. But yeah, spent, spent an amazing, uh, nine seasons at Chelsea, um, kind of working across the age groups. Um, and yeah, uh, had a great experience working at different groups, uh, mainly overse was overseeing the nice 15s program for a big portion of that time but then also working a bit more individually with the 18s and 23s um uh yeah so a real a real spectrum of of the uh, youth development pathway in football specifically so um and then yeah more recently made a decision to step away to kind of challenge myself very much a development to a decision to kind of step away from club football and then start working with speedworks uh, which has been brilliant spend some time with Jonas, a lot more detailed time with Jonas, connect with Jonas kind of while I was at Chelsea and uh, built a relationship there. And it's been great to kind of use a lot of speedwork frameworks and, and principles to kind of advance my knowledge, um, get a chance to do some individual coaching as opposed to in a group setting. Um, and uh, yeah, really kind of push some of my, my ideas that I was having at Chelsea and um, explore those a bit more. Sorry, very long winded, but I think that gives a quick summary. It's great. Thank you for that. It's interesting. How how important do you think that working with those under nines? Because I mean, I've been there. Like it's tough going working with those younger age groups. But how important do you think that was in setting you up for the the kind of rest of your career working with working up the age groups and then pretty more recently with um, with adult senior athletes? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think it was massively important. I think. Um, I don't necessarily take the view of uh it's easier or or or, or it's less advanced working with those groups I, I, I very much feel like they are very different skill sets but i think coming in and working with those groups it was very humbling as a coach as well because many things didn't work and, and actually some things that we maybe read in more textbooks didn't didn't necessarily apply from but so from a coaching and delivery standpoint it, it challenged me in, in many different ways and how, how can i how can i grab the group how can i design the practice to keep people's keep a focus, keep people um, engaged and understanding what they're trying to achieve. But then even more so from a, from a under, under understanding or knowledge standpoint, it was great because it, I had the opportunity to see many young individuals that could move well in many different ways, but weren't necessarily 
um, advanced in what we would traditionally understand to be, um, whether that was strength or whether that was power, maybe didn't, in a gym-based setting, didn't express the the qualities that we would expect to associate with, with, a, with a good athlete. Um, and that really challenged my thoughts, actually, is, that, um, is there actually how big of a role does skill play in it? Um, as well as capacities. Um, so that was a real good place to start and really challenge some of the thoughts um, that I had and was learning on the MSc as well at the time. Um, so for me, I yeah, for, very, very integral part of it. I think that probably sets us up quite nicely because we say, I know I'll caveat this in a second, but the strength and conditioning coach, like strength and the power side, the gym-based stuff, people are a lot more comfortable with. As soon as you move out onto the field and the skill-based stuff that we're going to chat around today about deceleration and transitional movements, that's when people get probably a little bit more nervous. And I know recently, because of the work of Speedworks and Jonas and various other people around the world, that's becoming more of the norm that people need to be up to speed to up to speed with what goes on on the pitch. So I think that probably transitions us nicely yeah. into the development of change direction ability. And that's a huge topic, like a huge topic. And we've had really good people um, on on the podcast discussing that. But I think where I want you to go is the deceleration side and really bringing that to life based on the knowledge and experience that you've got in this particular area. So when it comes to deceleration, again, another area that's getting a lot of attention recently and the assessment side, I think that's probably the best place to start. How would you go about assessing a, an athlete's deceleration ability to try to understand where you need to spend your time? Yeah, no, um, look, I think I've also learned loads from the people that have been on, on the previous podcast and and that's helped to cement my understanding even even further. So, um, But I think generally speaking, when developing change direction ability, I think the main things that I'm trying to understand um, is first and foremost from a from an applied setting is is what are we preparing for? What are the actual types of change directions that are present in the sport? And what I'm probably referring to more so is is the angles at which these change directions take place. I think that's where my head goes to first. But then if we're speaking more generally as in just looking at an athlete's ability to change direction, um I probably a main the main most important things for me is is uh, how well do you break? And all those KPIs that that Damon and those other, and other guys have done a great job of really demystifying. But how well do you break? And and then secondly, how well do you step or project outside of your base of support? Um, and what I mean by that more specifically, or how that looks, is is probably more of a polarized approach. So how well do you break uh, in a one eighty turn, being that the most extreme that you probably will experience from a breaking standpoint, having to completely, um, yeah stop your 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 velocity and, and accelerate re-accelerate in the opposite direction or, or break um and then actually more of those shallow changes of direction so 60 degrees uh and less um looking at actually how well do you step outside of your your base of support and reorientate your trunk to move in, into a new direction slightly um so those are the most important things for me um uh and again i say that polarized approach because i think all of the angles and change direction angles between those um, are going to probably be uh, an amalgamation of, of of those two aspects. How well do you break and how well do you step outside of your base of support? So if we take a 90 degree cut, that's probably smack bang between um, a zero and a 180. Uh, there is going to be a real need for you to, to have some breaking involved, maybe not completely coming to a halt or definitely not completely coming to a halt, but some breaking involved. But then there is also going to be a, a real need for you to be able to step outside of your base support to redirect it if that is a 90 degree cut as well. So if I can under, understand the extremes and how well you operate in them, in those, I feel like I gain a good understanding of how well you probably will execute um, other other angles of change direction. Um, and then obviously there's some physical qualities that will then underpin those. So would you... I'd, would you assess each one of those angles, the 180 and the 90, or the 60, like you mentioned? Uh, I think, from, from again, from applied set, and I would probably, I would probably focus more on a 180, um, and then and then more shallower changes of direction, and then and then understand how you do the extremes and and not test a 90. Um, uh, just look at how well you're able to maintain your speed in more acute angles of of change direction or or shallow changes of direction, and then and then more the aggressive changes of direction. Um, 
and I, I say that more from applied setting because as much as it would be great to understand each and there's probably going to be some variation on how you execute different angles of change direction for sure but um for me i found it helpful to understand opposite ends of the spectrum and then um to get a good gauge of how you're likely to your strategies around doing everything else in between so would you use a test like damien's or would you do something different and would there be any yeah. tech that you'd use to get a deep understanding of angles and things like that yeah so um yeah so testing wise uh the 10 5 for for the 180s is 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 something that i've commonly used and we commonly use at, at speedworks as well um and it's been extremely insightful um uh having more of a, a frontal plane camera uh and then actually haven't done as much around it, but more of those acute angles of change direction would be more a front on facing camera, uh, looking at those angles of change direction that are more acute angles, just looking at what happens in a sagittal plane. What does the trunk do? Um, how how wide is that touchdown distance relative to center of mass as you redirect into the new direction? And and this is obviously being in more of a, a, a pre-planned situation. Cool. You put a really interesting post out. I think it might have been the post that was like, Right, I need to stop messing about because he's been on my list for a while and get highly on the podcast. And it was it was the slow down video of a of a one eighty turn, and you were talking about how much time two uh, com- uh, comparative athletes were in the hole, and that was that brings me on yep. to my next point around folding versus sitting in terms of what the athlete looks like and does in that one eighty turn. Can you explain that a little bit more for us? Yep. Yeah, no. So um, that was that was just post around um, some of the some positive change I thought would be interesting to share. I think it was a great learning experience for me over that over that over the course of that intervention, so to speak. But um, uh, kind of what we, how we were managed to able to improve that individual's change direction ability by focusing on that deceleration more so. Um, and the biggest point that we, that came from that was actually um, helping to teach that individual uh, how to fold versus sitting. And and what we're talking about when we're talking about or what I'm talking about, referring to when I'm talking about uh, folder versus sitting is, we know that in deceleration, uh, dropping center of mass um, is, a, is a key KPI. Uh, a dropping center of mass is a key K- KPI for braking, but but more particularly, how well did, how did that, indiv- how does that individual actually execute um, the dropping of center of mass? And there's commonly in, in, in the athletes that I've coached, commonly those two two different ways that are two different buckets that people sit in. They have a fold or they sit. And what we're referring to specifically is, um, do you drop center of mass by um, by flexing through trunk, hip, knee, and ankle? And then on, I would kind of describe that as crumbling into flexion. Um, or are you able to actually remain uh, fairly vertical and disciplined within your trunk and uh, achieve more of that drop of, um, drop of center of mass or drop of the hip through predominantly the hip, knee, and ankle, and whilst the trunk remains fairly disciplined, so those are the two buckets I commonly uh, fit people into. Um, and if I, they probably then go on to the, the relevance of this is is um, sitting allows allows for center mass to be projected down and back and shifting towards that penultimate step, and in order and probably facilitates facilitates using the penultimate foot contact. Um, a lot more and from the research that uh, a lot of the guys have done that there is a massive importance for that breaking large amount of breaking to take place on that penultimate foot contact um versus actually folding at the at the trunk um and folding forward to drop center of mass probably reinforces well not probably definitely reinforces center of mass to shift forward onto the front leg and actually doesn't encourage sitting back and preparing for the new direction and creating that nice stable base of support in order to to really counteract forward momentum and create the appropriate braking forces in the right direction. So is the, the obviously the importance of the the trunk and the the orientation of the trunk to be able to decelerate and then reaccelerate. Is that something that is isolated in terms of a training in, in training capacity, or is that something that's a result of something else? Um, I I don't I wouldn't say it was one or the other. I think it could be a, an amalgamation of both. It could be someone's individual uh, capacity that's forcing a fold in action. Maybe they don't, uh, uh, they aren't able to produce the right amount of forces, eccentric forces, um, to to at the lower limb in order to to create the right amount of braking needed. So then, therefore, 
the more of the body needs to be involved in that breaking action or, or counteracting that folding that um that forward momentum um or actually it is maybe that individual doesn't have the confidence to be able to increase touchdown distance and and just probably a good point place to to kind of just simplify this again but through coaching deceleration and and through many of the conversations that we've had we very much feel like deceleration in many ways is the inverse of acceleration so in acceleration where we see um hip height going from low to high uh we would see in deceleration hip height going from high to low um when we when we refer to touchdown distance we want ideally want to decrease touchdown distance in acceleration in order to increase our propulsive forces similarly um well the inverse of that would be increasing our touch a touchdown distance in order to increase the amount of braking forces that we're going to apply to the ground um and de- in order to break better or decelerate better so i think that's important to kind of go back to that point and that's always been my kind of when things maybe get confusing how can i understand it better and actually the folding the folding action doesn't support our ability to increase touchdown distance doesn't support our ability to um to redirect into the new direction actually but when we look at sitting action it definitely does support that a lot more we get to reorientate our body into the right direction um and as a result of that increase touchdown distance drop center of drop center of mass effectively drop hip height whilst increasing touchdown distance um and uh and actually having a negative hip displacement across the steps as opposed to what we would see in acceleration which is a a positive hip displacement across the steps does that make sense i know that clear yeah 100 percent. i know this may sound super rudimentary but as the athlete is accelerating maintains speed and then as soon as they drop into uh, looking to decelerate and then potentially reaccelerate, which is most likely going to happen in the sports that you and I have been involved in, you more than me, would you yeah. be able to take us through what you're actually looking yeah. for as that as that athlete starts to decelerate? Then we can have a little look at, at drills and things to be able to to coach them into these kind of positions. Yeah, so again, uh, I kind of, I'll, I'll keep on referring back to some of uh, Damien's work, but... Um, I'm predominantly looking at the antipenultimate foot contact, the penultimate foot contact, and the final foot contact. And if we're starting from the antipenultimate, um, we we use this phrase of projecting back. But actually, does that is that individual able to increase touchdown distance? Have the confidence to increase touchdown distance? So step there, get their foot out in front of them, and project themselves backwards in order to counteract forward momentum that we get from acceleration or, or linear speed, um, and then progressively over those steps as much as we are projecting backwards are we also able to drop our center of mass in order to and the the importance of dropping center of mass is 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 so that we can apply those forces more horizontally in the opposite direction and it's really really challenging to stay very vertical and increase touchdown distance from an anatomical standpoint as well and again i'll refer back to acceleration it's very hard to uh, project yourselves forwards when you're in a very upright position um so that's kind of uh the, completely the inverse there so across the anti anti and the penultimate foot contact are they able to increasingly step uh in front of their base of support remain fairly upright in their trunk whilst dropping their center of mass um and i thought that is a real can be a little bit tricky to 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 see Again, it is very much this sitting action, like we're sitting, almost sitting on a toilet is probably a good way to say it. We wouldn't flex our trunk to sit on the toilet. We, we stay very fairly vertical. Um, so we're sitting into our hips, dropping through our hips. And then when we get close to that final foot contact, we're hoping that a large portion of our, uh, our, our breaking has been done in the antipenultimate and the penultimate foot contact. And our, um, and our final foot contact is, is to really create a real final block against our forward momentum before helping us to project into the new direction. And um, uh, again, we're, we're looking in that position is actually the orientation should be of the trunk, but then also the shin on that final foot contact should be directing towards a new direction. But then also um, actually the ranges of motion that that individual goes into should be fairly shallow um in uh in, on the final foot contact providing that they've done sufficient work in the preceding steps 
and again getting out of the hole and how, how long you take to get in and out of the hole um a lot of the time for me if you spend too long in the hole it's probably a lot of the time because you haven't done enough in the in the previous steps and your final foot contact is working extremely hard not only to break but then also to re-accelerate whereas almost i see those preceding steps as helping your final foot contact out can we help our can we help ourselves out by uh doing more work in the earlier steps so that my final foot contact is has a larger emphasis on 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 projecting into the new direction than it has slowing momentum down are you with me i've gone gone yeah 100 percent. No, no 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 absolutely not no but my next thing was just kind of focus on the trunk was i suppose oh, and the hips was the rotation the intentional rotation is that happening are you coaching that in the final foot contact or is that starting to happen in the penultimate foot contact as well penultimate Penultimate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, very much so. The penultimate. Um, uh, I think there's more work to be done in this, but like I find it very interesting um, that actually, I, I definitely believe that needs to happen in that penultimate foot contact. But um, if I look at where the foot is positioned, if the foot isn't beginning to position into the new direction, okay, I think it becomes extremely hard to to create the 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 right breaking forces or the sufficient block against forward momentum. Um, when feet are facing 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 the initial facing forward in the initial direction we come into, um, I think not only does that rotation of the foot um, need to happen at the penultimate step, step to redirect. I also think it's really important to create a real block and a real ridge against um, momentum going in the, in the initial acceleration direction. Uh, so I think it almost has two roles. Um, but yeah, the rotation definitely needs to happen at the penultimate foot contact. And um, yeah, by the time the, the final foot contact takes place, we should be, half of the work should be done. If not more of the work should be done into, in order to redirect. And actually it's just a slight change of trunk orientation in terms of in the, in the transverse plane. But we shouldn't have to spend more time having to, take another step to redirect. And you commonly see this uh, with players doing 180 turns. They struggle to stay within a corridor of change of direction. And, and what I mean by that is that they come in and they really curve their um, their reacceleration because either they haven't prepared well enough for the new direction or they need to take more steps in order to to break and 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 decelerate their, their horizontal momentum. I've I've got a couple of questions and I'm I'm maybe I may yeah yeah hundred percent and I may I may be jumping ahead here, but when you're coaching deceleration in this yeah. capacity like we've discussed, is this always done in a one eighty turn? And would you always do this from a max, like a max speed perspective? Because as we're going to discuss later, often in team sports when you're making that change direction, you're not particularly going at if you're a defender, for example, you may be jogging and then it may be a quick change direct, uh, deceleration, then change direction. So I'm just wondering how you kind of incorporate what the demands of the sport and the position um, are with the coaching of it. Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, breaking as, as a quality, I think that will, for me, if I'm really trying to isolate the quality, the extreme ends of it are going to happen at 180 turns. Okay. Um, and if I really want to overload that, I might use that as an intervention, but definitely completely agree with you. Um, it, it needs to be, especially when we come on to talking about the, our speedworks levels, for me, it needs to be more representative of what we're trying to train for. Yes. Breaking might be your limiting factor as to, as to why you can't stay tight in a one V one or you struggle to change direction. Okay. So I might use 180 turns as a real way to overload that stimulus and overload breaking, but I definitely need to shift that our training along to be more representative of what we're trying to work for. And whether that's specific to the velocities that the, that take place, the angles um, of change of direction that take place. But I don't necessarily think it always needs to be a sprint into change direction. I think um, some of the ways in which we've coached it um, again, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here, but, um, there's a lot of great, uh, in terms of a training process that's been put in, that we understand very well in terms of developing acceleration. For me, it's just very much been applying that same framework and concept to deceleration. So there's going to be some isolated, isolated, um, 
exercises that are going to really focus on focus on key moments of the either the, pen, the penultimate foot contact or the final foot contact or trunk orientation. But then there are definitely going to be uh, integrated drills that are going to be exposing you to to different chain directions. Yeah, are you coming in at different speeds? Is a variable that we can manipulate. Um, we can also uh, achieve breaking through different types of. So I use I call them derivatives, but they are also transitional movements in themselves and we'll probably come on to that later, but uh, the lateral shuffle and the crossover shuffle, there is still an element of breaking involved. And actually I would use those as de derivatives to, to really focus on key shapes and positions at lower intensities, at lower speeds, or we can actually then do uh, two to three step decelerations from walking and jogging positions um, that are uh, accentuated with the band into, into pulling that individual further into, into the direction they're initially heading in um we can yeah we definitely would be like like we like will come on to is but uh not just coming decelerating to stop but decelerating to move off again and maybe decelerating one or two stops before we move off again or decelerating over larger distance shorter distance for me there's a real wide spectrum it's just important to understand the context of what we what we need to work on and and breaking that down before we build it back up again Hope you're enjoying part one, so we're going to take a very quick break. Over in part two, we transition the conversation into transitional movements, and we use a defender from football, but that could be any athlete, uh, particularly in a team sport, talking about transitional movements, how we transition from a deceleration into a jog, into a walk, into an acceleration, into a change of direction, all these little things that contribute to this transitional movement uh, category. So really interesting part two coming up with Hilo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. Also sponsoring this episode is Rewire Fitness. While we all know it's important to develop athletes' mental skills, it's often challenging for coaches to figure out how to apply these strategies. The Rewire Fitness is the ultimate coaching solution for helping athletes develop their mental fitness and gain an advantage over competition. The platform integrates evidence-based tools backed by neuroscience and sports psychology, as well as protocols used by NASA and the Navy SEALs to help athletes enhance mental performance and improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. With daily insights into each athlete's readiness, you can identify trends, prevent overtraining, and make informed recommendations with ease, resulting in improved team performance. And they have the data to back it up. Typically, their users reduce their self-related stress by 70%, feel 30% more focused, and feel 30% more ready for performance with just five to 10 minutes of use each day. By implementing Rewire in your coaching practice, you can also support a culture of health and wellness proactively working to prevent athlete burnout and overtraining. Prioritizing mental wellness and performance is key to success of any team and Rewire Fitness is the solution to achieve it. Learn more and schedule a demo at rewirefitness.app forward slash Pacey. And now back to the episode with Hilo. Before we go any further, the Speedworks levels, would you better talk us through that? Because I know that was something that was discussed yes. at the conference a couple of times and I've watch the videos back yeah. and yeah it'd be good yeah, to get yeah. a, a bit of an insight into the, the speed so levels to this context as well yeah absolutely why not specific to this context around deceleration yeah yeah so so um game speed uh levels goes from level one to seven and increases in complexity and it looks closer goes closer and closer to what we understand as game speed but level one is very much focused on the isolate isolated technical development of 
of um, of the, of an attribute, whether that's acceleration, change direction, or deceleration. In this respect, like I mentioned earlier, the one if I'm working on braking specifically as a quality, then the one eighty turn provides that real challenging stimulus for braking. So how can I actually really improve my technical execution of of uh, a 180 turn or braking, um, whether that's braking to um, acceleration to dead stop or accelerating acceleration to stop before re-accelerating. Then as we move into level two, level three, um, it's adding complexity through making things, um, adding different variables in. So challenging velocity, challenging different directions, um, different st start positions and adding complexities in that sense. So not just from cone to cone, as such anymore, not just accelerate to that cone and stop when you reach there and come back. Actually now, uh, maybe even more applying different different angles. So yeah, you are doing a zigzag potentially and you're actually decelerating into the first cone before accelerating out. Or you are, um, you are starting in different positions before you decelerate or you are decelerating in a specific zone before you re-accelerate. So different transitional movements that will begin to complexify braking before we then move it to level three and four, where we are starting to design practices that are more representative of the, the, the end goal or what happens in the game, but in a closed setting. So, okay, these are, these are the situations. This is the actions that take place. Can, how well can you demonstrate breaking in these situations where you have plenty of time to focus on it? And then again, as we can begin to complexify these a bit more, we can make things more reactive. It's about making more re things reactive as we move through the levels. So we can make things reactive by using me as a coach to call different cones, colors, um, and reduce the, the time available to prepare. So um, level one is obviously, what I didn't mention, level one's a great place to really embed some key concepts. Um, key areas that we really need the individual to understand about braking. So sitting versus folding is going to be a key thing for braking that we want that individual to understand in level one. And that will be a continuous theme as we begin to complexify things and make things more reactive. But the challenge is going to be, as we get more reactive, how well can that individual still achieve the fundamentals that we spoke about at level one with less time at levels three, four and five. Um, and then finally, uh, level levels four and five are going to be more about uh, creating more situations and for me that that is the point at which our coaching needs to shift towards towards more the objectives of the task and the task that we we are trying to represent from the game um, as opposed to what the movement should look like ideally yes um, the movements should equal achieving the task better or being more successful at the task. But I think what game speed provides is allows us to appreciate that the movements can be, look, even though there are core fundamentals, uh, there is a large amount of variability that will take place when we spend time at levels four and five and things are more reactive and, and open. Um, and that variability is important because it's more representative of what happens. There's no one same situation that happens in the game. So how can we, um, artificially create this environment that creates that um, and shifting our focus towards the objective of the task is really important because that is what happens in the game but yes then we can always refer back to okay your objective was to get tight there in that situation you didn't get tight and that was probably because you didn't sit and that's where we sit enough or you were folding your 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 center of mass was still very much on your final foot contact versus versus uh, shifting towards your penultimate foot contact. And that is my maybe why you weren't so successful at the task. Um, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Does, 100%. Can, can you, is that clear Absolutely. to see I'm, the, that I'm, progression across that, those levels? 100%. I'm following. I'm following. So I'm just going to, I know you've mentioned a couple. Is there any particular drills that you've used when it comes to the deceleration side of things and the, the sitting, sorry, the, the, the sitting versus the folding that has really been able to yeah, yeah. pull the athlete into a position that you really like and is, is favorable for this kind of this kind of uh this yeah. kind of quality and if so yeah what are those drills that people could potentially steal from you yeah yeah no um i think first of all there'll be there'll, there's a whole bunch of drills i'm sure people can come up with some some great ones that i, that I would also still and i have stolen so that's important to stay at the start but i think especially when we're going back to this point of spending too long in the hole and, and what the, the what the twitter post was about 
I think for me, that one thing that's important to highlight is that it's important for us to understand what the limiting factor is to spending too long in the hole. Is it a physical restriction? Is it a physical capacity to restriction, which which will, will then mean a certain amount of intervention needs to take place? Or is it actually more of a movement strategy? Is it actually that you yield too much or you spend, you, you go into very deep ranges of motion on that final foot contact and you don't have those reactive strength qualities to, 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 to be quick out of the hole, quick in and quick out? Or is actually your trunk is actually all over the place throughout those deceleration steps and the final foot contact. So highlighting it first of all is definitely where I would say it's important to understand that there are differences and what is the what's the cause and effect of spending too too, too long in the hole. And once you identify that, um, going after it. But if we were to mock up a situation or use that example that we use in the Twitter post um, as, as as something to kind of go off to talk about drills, etc. That individual's focus was about actually better trunk orientation and being in shallower ranges of motion and, and expressing more reactive strength on that final foot contact. So a lot of the drills that we went to were hop and returns very much. Um, uh, so a lot of plyo variations, getting a, getting a real feel for, um, well, for me, there was two, there was two things. There was things that happened in the gym and then things that happened out on the pitch. And the way I saw the th things that happened in the gym, the gym was focused around, uh, even though it was a smaller portion, the gym was focused around overloading the physical elements while still integrating the teaching components. So um, what, what I mean by that is uh, there was a lot more super maximal uh, eccentric work, um, some ISO inertial uh, work to really challenge eccentric rate of force development, which was something that we uh, highlighted was a contributing factor to spending too long in the hole, not being able to create those forces quick enough, which is probably why the trunk was getting involved. But when we are doing those that work in the gym or that ISO inertial work and, and other strength work, it was 100% reinforcing, I need you to sit, not fold. I need you to remain vertical through the trunk, remain disciplined in your trunk while executing these exercises. Can we create that eccentric force through more of our hips and our knees as opposed to our trunk? Um, and then when we went out to, to kind of on field work, which was a larger portion of it, um, a lot of that was focused around uh yeah hop and return in the frontal plane uh, so lateral hop and return but then uh accentuating the the eccentric components by using a band to pull that person further into um further into flexion and that individual's got to do his best to or he had to do his best to really resist against this this um this added velocity or this accentuated action um there was we did a lot of uh lateral shuffles but with a stick overhead to really challenge that individual's or yeah challenge that individual's ability to sit and not fold so when re doing a repeated shuffle when reaching those endpoints can you stay in can you stay in uh in fairly upright positions when pushing off on each side uh, as you move left to right um and then finally a lot of the other work was was that that plyometric work in the frontal plane so uh skater jumps and when i when i'm talking about the skater jumps really reinforcing the point of bigger touchdown distance shallow ranges of motion really reactive contacts um and working along that spectrum much like we would with with acceleration um those are a lot of the drills that we used but i think the biggest difference because i don't think any of those are groundbreaking or brand new but i think the biggest difference was making sure we're talking about those technical points that cross over to what we're trying to achieve um in in the actual movement itself um, and using almost having these two components of teaching and training always in tandem in the gym training taking adaptations taking a greater emphasis from a physiological standpoint um and then equally out on the pitch using using velocity uh, uh, doing slow and fast movements to to really over overload the technical and the physical side um does that make sense Absolutely. Clear. Absolutely. I, I can dive a bit deeper if needed. No, no. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. Or certainly one on the uh, the stick overhead and the lateral shuffles. Are you looking to keep for, for the trunk to be aligned how you'd want it? Are you looking for the stick to be horizontal to the floor in that particular drill? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, stick overhead, stick needs to stay horizontal to the floor. But at the point of final foot contact, beginning to redirect that trunk in the new direction so almost pointing the stick into the new direction at the point of final foot contact um 
the, the reason why, just to kind of talk about why I like that, just a bit, a bit detail around the lateral shuffles is decelerations are quite intense and actually doing many of them and practicing them as much as they are important. I think it can be really challenging to, uh, to overload those sometimes, both from a physical capability or ca capacity or their ability to cope with those loads. Um, but then also, um, the time available to, to kind of embed those teaching points. So the lateral shuffle was a great opportunity to still have some level of breaking at lower velocities in positions that were really, really specific to what we want to see when we're doing deceleration in a 180 turn. So um, the lateral shuffle, yeah, we allowed us to kind of have a lower hip height to start with, which we, which we want. So can we teach that individual to increase touchdown distance from a hip, from a position of hip height that is already low? Can we, uh, get hip height low by keeping trunk fairly vertical and the stink the stick overhead holds you accountable to that and it's a very good feedback tool to see whether you have trunk involvement um trunk flexion um but yeah definitely reinforcing those points of increased touchdown distance at the point at which you're you're hitting your final foot contact can you reorientate your forces into the new direction can you sit back and down into that penultimate step in order to allow your final foot contact to be really reactive and project you into the new direction in shallower ranges of motion and spending less time there perfect amazing right let's move on to transitional movements I know this is something that we spoke about in the build-up to the um, to the Sportsman Speed Conference in March. I'd just like you to explain what you see as transitional yeah. movements because I'll be honest with you, when you started, when you instantly said transitional movements, I immediately was, yeah, I get it. Again, I get it because I was rubbish at them and I, get, I, I was instantly in with you talking about it. And I'd like you to, that's why I've, one of the reasons why I got you on to talk about this particular topic. So from your perspective, what are transitional movements? So for me, I almost coined them the, the connectors between linear speed breaking and change direction. Um, uh, it's the actions that take place between, the, between those movements, between those actions. And um, I think one thing that's really, that's been really pertinent for me kind of diving into this more and more and that, that work started at Chelsea a lot of that was triggered from the coaches um I guess the background of it is the coaches would would come to me and say he doesn't move his feet very well or he can't change direction very well but what when we as a as a, as a department when how we assessed those uh, those aspects were more traditional in in terms of the 180 turn the, the 10-5 um or we would probably un yeah we would understand it more of a 90 degree cut and and they did they just weren't crossing over what the coaches were talking about and what how we were assessing these abilities to change direction weren't really aligning and actually probably a lot pushed me to dive a bit deeper as to that there's more there's probably more available there's more more to it than than just change of direction um and i think the reason why those transitional movements are of importance is purely because of the technical and technical constraints of the sport because if you remove those aspects i think linear speed breaking and change direction are good enough they they kind of tick the box but if we look at volleyball there's a real need for you to change direction whilst also keeping your trunk facing the net at all times that's a tactical component of the sport or aspects of the sport which which then means that actually a lateral shuffle is going to be really important before you accelerate in order to keep yourself facing forwards or actually if we're talking about defender and football um, there's a real need for him to stay facing the attacker as he's running at him in a 1v1, which is why a backpedal becomes important. Because if it wasn't, that individual will, will probably turn and run. It doesn't need to be more complex than that. So I think it's the presence of the technical and technical constraints that makes, uh, that highlights the need and the, and the importance of transitional movements and the ability to connect between acceleration, uh, change direction and, and, and braking. Um, I'll come on to I'll let you jump in, but I was going to come on to the objectives. What I see of the objectives objectives of transition movements. Go for it. Go for it. Carry on, mate. Carry on. This is great. Um, so yeah, so as similar to what we at the Sportsmith, what I presented was actually the objectives and the purpose of of these transition movements fit into three buckets for me. Um uh minimizing speed loss when subtle changes in direction or orientation are needed so again what that looks like to me is actually a, someone going from a back pedal into a linear sprint that isn't a i'm still moving in the same direction backwards i'm just changing my orientation so that, that 
doesn't really fit into change of direction traditionally and actually um the requirements of the transmission movements in that respect is how can i backpedal and get into my linear speed without dropping my speed too much because i need to keep my speed increasing because i have a player running at me for example number two an objective is uh, how can I close and exp ex can you ex close or exploit space over smaller distances when true changes directions are less effective? So similar to that volleyball situation, the, the traditional change of direction, like a 90 degree turn are less effective. So actually maybe a lateral shuffle is going to be really important in order to, to close and exploit space um, in those sports. Then finally, actually, the objective of transition movements, again, is the thir thirdly, is preparing and accessing positions a lot quicker. Okay, um, if I can do a rotational step a lot more, a lot quicker in a turn, then um, providing that I'm doing that effectively, I should be able to access key positions, have my hip height at the right in the right place, um, decrease my touchdown distance before I'm about to accelerate. All those aspects that we want when we're talking about linear speed. Um, so those are the three objectives and purposes of those of the transition movements, but um and then the last bit sorry i'm rambling on here but this is the last bit i think one thing that i definitely want to get across and that's been quite important for me is that although i've in especially in the presentation categorized transition movements into lateral shuffle uh drop step or rotational step crossover step and the back pedal um those are the the big buckets i would probably fit most transitional movements into I think it's been helpful for me to dissect those and separate those into those four categories. But one thing I've always been quick to to check myself on is that I don't train it in just those isolated ways because when we're working back from the sport, which is where they're highlighted, these, these actions don't happen in isolation. It isn't just a lateral shuffle. It isn't just a backpedal. It is commonly a backpedal into a lateral shuffle into acceleration or acceleration into a drop step into a reacceleration or deceleration into a drop step, then reacceleration. So they don't happen in isolation. And for our understanding, it is helpful to separate these areas. But when we're going about training, it's important to really think about where, how these how these transitional actions present and, and why they present, what the objectives are, um, because there's probably going to be a need to, to mix and merge a lot of these actions whilst developing them. And is that is that part of the coaching of these transitional movements is the combination of these three or four different aspects and how you manipulate those depending on what you see in the game from from video or see from from your just watching of, of a particular athlete do what they do yeah 100% i think that's probably a great place to refer back to the 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 levels the speedworks levels Yes, the four categories allow us to get, have a place to start and work on these actions in isolation. How well do you, there is merit and value of understanding how well you backpedal just to backpedal because we know that when we combine these actions and we look at the sport, backpedaling is a key, a key component, for example. So actually there is merit and value of understanding them in isolation, but very quickly we need to understand that we want to make things more representative, have a better representative, representative design of our practices um, as we work through the levels and get closer to game speed. Um, and actually, yeah, we need to think about how these actions combine. And it's not one movement solution for a situation. It's what is the objective of the task and what is the maybe the most effective solution to achieve that based upon the technical, tactical and physical components that are involved in that situation. Um, and not just, aha, this is the solution. I'm going to use a back pedal because... I don't think that's very realistic of one, how the athletes use it um, in sport and, um, and two, uh, yeah, what we're discussing when we're trying to develop these actions. I think one instantly I'm going in my mind of when I used to play. And one thing I always just struggle with was as a, as a, cent as a central defender, the center forward drops off, you go with him. It might not be a, particularly great velocity then it speeds up then they're checking and going in behind so you've got multiple things going you've got uh, i suppose a walk into a jog and you've got a jog into a you know full speed acceleration and you've got a, a 180 degree cut then you're going back the way so there's all these little kind of micro transitions going on but to actually dissect that and go okay in this instance i'm just talking about myself here 
Rob needs to work on X and we're going to prescribe drills A and B. Like that's pretty hard because there is so much going on, like you say. So how do you try to dissect and focus on one particular aspect or do you not? And it becomes more of a, I don't know, a holistic view of it and it just plays into lots of manipulation of these kind of movements like we've just said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's take that situation then. Let's take, because that's a commonly the, a lot of the guys that I tend to work with tend to be those uh, have worked with in the past are other defenders. And those are guys I think coaches will commonly highlight as not moving moving well enough. Um, but let's take, so for me, I would definitely start, okay, let's highlight the situations in which you struggle in. Okay. And for me, I would, that is definitely on the coach, definitely on analysts. And and if you have those resources available or actually my own understanding of the sport and taking that real situation that, is affecting performance. So actually maybe you're not winning your 1v1 battles or people are beating you too easily. That is a real incentive to say, okay, we need to work on this. So let's highlight those situations that you are struggling with. And for me, it's then about dissecting what are the components within that? What are the speeds you're running at? What are the actions are taking place and what are the distances you're working in? Okay. Um, so first of all, I'm thinking, okay, you clearly have to backpedal at quite a quick speed because you need to stay facing up the player. Okay. Then at some point you need to turn. Which aspect is it that you struggle with? Is it actually that you aren't able to, you 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 have a real loss of balance because you can't backpedal effectively and that trickles into your turn, which makes it look really messy? Or is it actually you can backpedal really quick, but at the moment I've asked you to do a, a reorientation or, or a drop step or a rotational step in order to ex- turn and accelerate. Um, maybe that is actually where you have a loss of balance or, or a real drop of velocity, which works in advantage of the attacker. So highlighting those points, first of all, and then there are, and then for me, it's about what are the key skills that take place in that moment? So again, if it is the first portion of the back pedal, let's isolate that, let's, let's overload it in different ways. How, let's see how well you accept, you, you, you back pedal across a 10 meter stretch or across a 20 meter stretch. Um, are you able to, and for me, this is where the PSR has been great for me, because I think it transcends across many different aspects and it's not just applied to linear speed, but again, in a back pedal, can you project in the right direction? Can you switch your limbs to stay in control of your center of mass? And can you be reactive on the floor? Those are the things I'll be looking at. Um, And actually uh, the bigger guys, you will probably see some strategies where they don't really project themselves very far. They stay very tall and take loads and loads of steps, but don't travel anywhere. And actually center mass begins to, tipple over and their their top half uh, almost goes beyond their their bottom half of their body and they lose their balance and maybe fall in the bum potentially which I've, I've seen in the past um in those situations actually there is merit and value of actually going i need to teach you how to back pedal better so i need to teach you how to drop your center of mass in order to you in order for you to project better and because you're really good at switching but you're just not getting anywhere um with that um and then from then on, I will actually, I like to use a bit of a fancy term, but it's just different types of techniques, but differential learning in that. So how can I play with direction? How can I play with speed to, to just inc- challenge the, the, the depth of which you can execute this, this skill in very different ways, because there is a high amount of variability when you go back to your sport. So can I actually try and, or, um, artificially recreate those situations? So I might ask you to do a back pedal in different directions. Um, I might ask you to do a back pedal um, assisted where I'm pulling you with, with even more velocity and you've got really control your center of mass. How can I play with it and challenge it, stress test it in different ways before we begin to go down the route of levels two, three, and four of the game speed model um, to make it more situation specific? I needed you 15 years ago when I couldn't move and was trying to move. <laughs> <laughs> well... I've I've kept you um, I've kept yeah. you for well over fifty minutes, and I think we've covered a hell of a lot in there. But there's plenty of stuff that you've got going on with yourself through Speedworks and the the other consultancy stuff that you do. If anyone wants to dive a little bit deeper into this, where's the best place for them to get in touch? Uh, so initially, Speedworks website is going to be Speedworks website, Speedworks Instagram is going to be a lot of the platforms that we're going to be pushing a lot of stuff that we're, we're working on, a lot of stuff we're working on in the background. And um, there's going to be a lot of stuff about deceleration as you've seen recently, there already is. Um, so, but that's going to keep on coming. So definitely the Speedworks website. 
um, and the and the Bespeedux page. Um, for me directly, my Instagram is just Hilo Theodros. Um, no space. Um, on Instagram and by all means reach out on there. Um, I always find the conversations that other practitioners. I think one thing I've enjoyed about the workshops that we do with Speedox is it helps to deepen my understanding every time. Um, of these concepts. So by all means reach out. Um, any questions, any things that you guys notice in your setting. Um, and it helps us to understand things for sure. And um, obviously the view motion stuff that we're doing around uh, breaking and, and the ten five is great. So that might be something of interest for, for people in their, in their settings and just to add a bit more detail and, uh, and objectivity to, to what we're talking about when we're talking about breaking and change of direction. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for the last, well, over an hour because we, we chatted a little bit at the start. Really appreciate it. Excited to see what, happens with you in the future with all the stuff that you've got going on and uh, it was a pleasure to chat and thank you very much thank you for having me it's been great to be involved and yeah feel very grateful to be invited so appreciate it rob cheers hilo speak soon thanks for tuning in to episode 446 of the pacey performance podcast really appreciate hilo coming on in a very busy time for him lots of things happening professionally for him so really appreciate him giving up his time and chatting about improving change direction deceleration and transitional movements so big thanks to hawking dynamics as always play kitman labs and rewire fitness for sponsoring this episode today the podcast could not run in its current form without these guys so i really do appreciate all their support big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next time